Hey everyone, thanks for checking out this episode of My First Sketch at MyFirstSketch.com. I'm Josh Hyam. As always, feel free to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or on SoundCloud to get it automatically. You can catch the show on the Stitcher app as well. Like the podcast on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MyFirstSketch. Email me at Josh at MyFirstSketch.com. Follow the show on Twitter at MyFirstSketch. Today's guest is Jack Presby, currently a member of All Night Deli, the new house team at Philly Improv Theater. His first sketch is called Bubble Rat Boy. Jack reads the parts of Brimfroth and Lane Kent. I read the roles of Ed Bradley and Amber Froth, as well as give you any visual information you need to know. So let's get to the sketch. Interior set of 60 minutes. Seat at center is Ed Bradley. To his left is Amber. To his right is Lane Kent, the CEO of EIS Insurance Company. We pick up the scene mid-segment. If you're just joining us, Amber Froth, mother of Brim, is claiming that EIS Insurance Company's denial of medical coverage for her son, based on a pre-existing condition, is in direct violation of the ACA. Okay, Ed, if I may, my company's decision didn't take into account Brim's pre-existing condition. Uh, Further, we offered a more economical and safe solution. Bullshit. How can you take away our son's only means of survival? You smug little asshole. I'd like to claw your lungs out. Amber Froth rises and goes to attack Lane Kent, but is restrained by Ed Bradley. Please try and control yourself, Mrs. Froth. Do you have any idea the lengths I have to go to for my son's survival once they took his plastic bubble away? Ed, clearly Mrs. Froth doesn't think that our solution works, when in fact it's just as good, if not better, than a regular plastic bubble. Our solution is more portable, economical, and yes, more cost-effective. Ed Bradley rises up. Why don't we meet? Why don't we bring Brim out and see for ourselves? Brim, can you please come out here? Brim enters wearing a suit made of bubble wrap. Brim, please sit down. Uh, thank you, Mr. Bradley, but it's impossible for me to sit and be comfortable. Besides, when I try, my bubbles pop. Brim looks at Lane Kent and advances towards him. Look at me, Mr. Kent. This is what your insurance company has done to me. I'm a walking joke. Lane Kent reaches out and pops a bubble. I'm, so- I'm sorry, but this is irresistible. Lane Kent starts to pop more bubbles. Stop it, you'll kill him! That bubble wrap is his only defense against everything! Ed Bradley has been staring at the exchange the whole time. He reaches out and pops a bubble himself. Ever since I can remember, I've loved popping bubble wrap. Ed Bradley pops more. Lane Kent joins in. Brimfroth is trying his best to fight them off. Stop it, you'll kill my boy! You're all monsters! Come on, Brim, we're out of here! Amber hugs Brim to protect him, but accidentally pops a few bubbles. Stop it, please. I'm begging you to stop. Brim backs away from the group. I can't take this anymore. Brim starts to pop his own bubbles. Soon, all on stage join in as we black out over the sound of of bubbles popping. Hey, Jack. Hey, Josh. How are you? All right. So tell me about this sketch. Tell me about the bubble boy. 
Well, we were, um, you know, as you will, you'll, we're sitting in the writer's room and we're sitting around just throwing pitches out for it was going to be our first uh, appearance on Sketch or Swim at Fit. And Sinker Sketch. Sinker Sketch. Why don't we keep calling it that? Yeah. <laughs> Sinker Sketch. Jack would kill me, right? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so we're, we're noodling around the idea and, and we were just talking. Somehow the, the, the idea of somebody being in a plastic bubble just got into the conversation. And I laughed and I said, wouldn't it be funny if, uh, you know, instead of a bubble, it's somebody's in a bubble wrap. And everybody got that gleam in their eye, you know? Yeah, this is one of those ideas that, like, every once in a while, like, I'll think of something. I'm like, oh, someone has to have done that before. Right, 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 right. Like, so it would be amazing, like, that this isn't, like, I've, I've yeah. never seen bubble wrap versus bubble boy kind of connotations before so like when we have something that seems too good to be true like what we would we would google you know a little bit this make sure nobody absolutely yeah and a few people around hey does anybody remember anything like this and and nobody really remembered it and then well you know then you start writing it and of course it uh, it you have to do it like a 60 minutes setting i would think that Mm -hmm. was our was our plan to make it like that have him come out and be all wrapped up and then was the big joke and once we got to that the sketch was off was uh, and this, is this your first like real foray into sketch like i know you've done a yes. bunch of improv and stuff like yeah, um well i did uh, i did up all night uh, very early in my sketch writing career okay uh that was a, a blast i had a um i had a sketch that actually made it to the show that was a, a retired traffic helicopter reporter who is now a librarian I've seen that. I, I, I was there for that one. Yeah, that's a fun. Yeah, that was the, that was really the first the fun the character that got up on stage. Okay. Yeah, but I, I I had helped with that with Tom Hannigan. We were partnered off together, and he was helping me with you know measure the beats out and mm-hmm. make sure you know it was cohesive because I, again I was probably in Sketch One maybe at that time for you know my first class there. Okay, uh, uh, let's go back to the beginning. What were you into growing up? Like, what was your like earliest memory of like comedy and? Oh, like well, laughing on TV or something. Well, um, especially for sketch comedy, because I grew up with the Carol Burnett show. Okay. Which, 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 which was heavy sketch in that. And you, like every Saturday night, we would just wait to watch Tim Conway crack up Harvey Corman, you know? Mm. It was a joy to watch those sketches. And, and of course, you know, we all want to write our own sketches and, you know, how, you know, clumsy kids could be. So mm-hmm. that, and then, um, Monty Python, of course. Monty Python was my that was it. Once once I started, started watching Monty Python, I said that's what I want to do eventually. I wanna I would love to write like that. Those crazy off the wall, you know, absurdity sketches. Like roughly what timeline were you like, you know, year wise were you introduced to Monty Python? Uh, probably when they first hit the American Airways in seventy one or seventy two. Okay, so okay, wow. I was like, I was like like late like eighth grade maybe. Okay, sure. When, when to be a freshman. So, yeah. so like age and everything completely lined up for yeah, right, Monty right. Python. Like it was like you're you're at that adolescent era and you're you know and and uh, you're watching you know Monty Python because everybody's talking about it mm-hmm. and you want to see it and uh, and the big attraction to us you know Teen Boys was the fact that it was, they showed naked women from the waist up and PBS <laughs> were like oh I gotta see this you know and then forget about that once this you know. Uh, the sketches story because they were brilliant. They they still hold up even today. Like I don't know anybody that doesn't like them. I'm sure we can find somebody. I'm sure. Uh, yeah, right, right. I mean, you're going to have your. It wouldn't snuff. surprise me if I've talked to somebody that is again is last enthused. But that's you know. 
Yeah, but that yeah, right. I can. I mean, I, I guess after the after the you know as time goes on and and that kind of gets old hat. Like a lot of that's really a lot of it's really dated too. Yeah, like you really couldn't see the situations today. It's one of those things that like, uh, Monty Python was so influential and so just made an impact on everything else that came after it that once you experience everything that came after it the original doesn't seem as good right right or like like uh like i remember like watching the other things like uh, uh the young ones which was another favorite of mine mm-hmm. british sketch i don't know if you really would call it sketch because it was they it was like a centralized like it was monty python-esque but it was like like i, like I think a, they were more sitcom-y than they were, sketch. yeah but yeah but um but it was on that same vein of humor, that total absurdity, which I really, for some reason, it's like my favorite kind of humor was something that goes against all normal physical laws. I just think it's funnier, but ridiculous things happen, you know? Yeah. Um, then, but, yeah, but of course, and then the Second City started. I started with Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were all, you know, high school when that first came out. And we watched that religiously. That was like every Saturday night. You know, every stop that you were doing to watch you know, watch uh, Chevy and, the, and the, all them guys. It was yeah, it's this weird thing, that, like, and going back and, like, reading stuff about the history of Saturday Night Live and, like, watching the documentaries and everything, because I'm, like, it's one of the things I do nerd out about. Uh, the idea of creating a show at a time, to air at a time where, theoretically, your target audience won't be home. Right, right, exactly. And, but, they, but they were. And you still made, they being successful. Right, like, right. crazy. A wildly successful. I mean, and, and but look at the talent they had. Oh my God, it was you couldn't. It'd be hard to see that again today. That kind of talent. I mean, like the lasting talent. You know, like uh, like now you they come and they go, and you get people that are like a little weaker, and you know, it's it's not like it used to be with that. But still, I think, I think you know, over the forty five years or, or like thirty, forty three, forty, whatever it is now, I think forty four. I think the season's forty four. Um, no show has had better success rate of its cast members and its writers. Like absolutely, and and no, I mean, really, people still flock to it. It had never really lost its popularity. Yeah, there's been a couple of dips and valleys, but like it's it's yeah, endured good, overall. Like, but but yeah, right. It hasn't been canceled. Like it's like The Simpsons. Simpsons will be on forever. That's yeah. the ideal show to have because no one ever ages. No one dies of heroin. You know what well, I mean? Well, they, they, I, I'm waiting for what's going to happen when the first main cast member goes. Like, what decision happens there? Well, you have. Well, you'd almost have to stop. Like, I, mean, I thought doomed when Phil Hartman went. When Phil Hartman passed, I thought oh, that's it. Now that's easy after cast. But like, and at the same time, if you think about it, he wasn't like. He was only in like half the episodes, if even that. Like he was just a couple like characters, right, but and I now we've lost he, um, right. Mrs. Krabappel and yeah, like yeah, it's, yeah. When you start and uh, yeah, that's true. You start they start to go go off. You just start to think, should we keep on going? You know, what's the point if you're you know going to have your uh, just fill in voices? That's not it loses its it loses its originality. Then I think. Yeah, they, like, well at the same time and then you know i've never thought about it this way until just now it just popped in my head kermit has had multiple voices like kermit right. frog right 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 well he started with jim henson started could, yeah, it, so. could we possibly have someone taking over for marge's voice like 
when that unfortunate time comes, God forbid. You know what I mean? Could you imagine the fan boards when that happens? Oh my yeah, god! Like, what's gonna happen? <laughs> like, I, know, I know people joked about the switch from uh, Jim Henson after he passed to uh, I think it's uh, Steve Whitmire took it over, but like. Yeah, I, I, that's one thing I don't understand. Like, I'm waiting to see what happens with The Simpsons. Um, you mentioned Star- yeah. Saturday Night Live earlier. I ask everybody. It's one of my pandit trademarked questions. I'm going to actually trademark it and copyright it. Uh, who's your favorite Saturday Night Live cast member all time? Chevy Chase. Chevy, really? Didn't even hesitate, did I? No. like, well, I think you're the first person I've talked to that said Chevy Chase. I think he's underrated. I really do. Even like... Uh, he had, I like that dryness too. That's another thing I like. I like that. I always liked Dick Cavett when I was growing up, which is weird to say. I always liked them, that dry, like, like early, like early Dennis Miller. Remember mm. when Dennis Miller was funny before he got in, <laughs> believe his own press? <laughs> you know what I mean? But Dennis Miller was funny at one time. Yes, he was. He had that, that dryness that, you know, you had to like, like 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 a, a thinking man's Norm Macdonald, which is a bad thing to say because Norm is brilliant too. But Norm has that same dryness, that you know, absurdity to it. Mm-hmm. And, and Chevy always had that that the ability to look at you like and put you in on the you're in on the joke when you looked at him because he had that look in his eye like yeah I'm, I'm I'm having a joke here and you're all in on it and you're all behind me with it no matter how what kind of goofy character he played. Yeah and okay I, I like I'd have to look at my actual list because I do keep a database of who everyone says. Uh, but I think you are the first person to say Chevy and like Chevy of the original cast. He was the first to leave, but he was also like the biggest star that, that first year. Yeah. I think he had a charisma to him too. as was mostly it. You know, he was good looking he had that charm, you know? Uh, uh, and then, and then, and all the, the pratfalling is, it's another thing I love. Cause I like, if you ask me who my favorite comedians were, or still to this day, I'm going to say, tell you this, the Three Stooges, the Marx Brothers, and W.C. Fields, or, and or, like like that. That's my mm-hmm. bread and butter comedy. I mean, that, uh, the Marx Brothers, the wordplay, the, the absurdity, it's, you know, of course, uh, the Three Stooges, the slapstick, the, the, the Stennett stuff, you know, that uh, ridiculous things happening in normal situations that... Like, I you remember being little watching Three Stooges thinking, like, you can get shot in the ass with a gun, and all you do is jump in the air. You know what I mean? <laughs> you don't realize it would put you down, and you'd be like, you know? But there's stupid things you don't consider because you're laughing at the absurdity of it. Yeah, or putting uh, Curly's head in a vice. <laughs> right, right, right. Or hitting him with a hammer and bending the hammer. Like, you know, the ridiculousness. I, I mean, I still laugh at them when I watch them today. I, I, you know, every once in a while, I'll throw some DVDs in just to, you know, I'm going to watch something to make me laugh and not think about it. And then that's it. Yeah, no, some are now public domain, so you can find them easily. And oh, I have, oh my God, I have every one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had. I, I'll tell I don't you know how conventions. I'm sorry. I used to go to their conventions when they had them here in the city. Have you gone to the museum? Not yet. Um, I, I forget where it is. Like what town it's in? It's Land, Lansdowne. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But he was the one. Stugium he was the or big. Something? Stugium, right, right. And uh, he was one of the main runners of the. Um, of the convention before the uh, uh, comedy four took over the, the, all their rights and all. Mm-hmm. I remember being at the convention when, uh, it was like a banquet dinner, right? The three students convention. You can imagine what that was like, but, uh, they were in that, that Bela Lugosi jr. Was part of comedy four that bought everything. And they were going to re- rebrand it, repackage it, make it 
put more on television and all there was he was saying this at this convention what yeah. they were doing it and then what they did was they took it and they hid it from everybody so you, you had no more conventions you had no more like uh, um, it's amazing that he can have that museum open at them breathing down his neck the way they turned everything around did you like that movie did you see the movie uh, I, uh, I wanted not to like it okay because yeah. mostly because of the cast like you know, like putting the people from Jersey Shore in it, you're just grabbing, you're just trying to grab people's attention. You're not being. I would have rather seen a biopic, to be honest with you, they, than they, that. Wasn't there a TV film? There was a TV one with um, uh, um the, uh, the dude from uh, the, the Shield, Michael, Michael Checklist. Yeah, Michael yeah, Checklist, yeah. right? He played Curly. Um, and uh, the guy that played uh, Mo was uh, it was brilliant as Mo. I thought. I mean, I thought he was really, really good. Considering you know the kind of actor he was, mm-hmm. I can't remember his name, but yeah, uh, I'm completely. I mean, he was at, he was on The Wire. If you remember The Wire, okay, he played uh, in the second season. He was like that 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 Greek doc boss. Yeah, I'm completely blanking. Like I'm not even. I'm picturing Chickless, but I'm not picturing. No, but I mean, he's like so a nondescriptive actor. Like it was amazing. He pulled that part off. It was like, did you see when uh, Brad, uh, uh, the big guy from Raymond? Mm-hmm. What was Brad? You know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. The tall guy. He played uh, Jackie Gleason in a biopic by TV for TV. Oh. And I'm thinking, how's he going to play Gleason? Because he's like 6'8", you know? But he was great as Gleason. It was amazing how good he was at that. Or it's like, um, was it Chickless again that did the uh, the Jim Belushi, the John Belushi? That I didn't see. I'm not familiar with that. There, there's there's, there's a John Belushi biopic where the movies hate it. But whoever played Belushi did a, they they said it did a really good job. Like, but the the story of the movie itself is just awful. Apparently, I haven't seen it. Check it out. Maybe just put it. On my, put it on my short list of things <laughs> that I'm really like. When I have nothing else, I have to watch. <laughs> you know. So how do you get to the point? Like, like, and I don't want to talk about age too much, but you're obviously you're mentioning seeing. Mm-hmm. Monty Python when it first comes out yeah. or reasonably or watching the original cast. But like, how do you get to the point of comedy fan to start doing stuff? Uh, well, in high school, I was in the theater program. Okay. Um, Any and, good major roles? Any good like shows that you well, did? I, oh, the, the standout shows. Um, when I, uh, I, was, I did a, I was in um, Installog 17. Okay. It's like, it's like, but I guess it's it's kind of like what they base Hogan's Heroes off of, like very loosely. Mm-hmm. But it's the, the movie with William Holden and all that movie. If you ever think of that movie, it's like a, it's a serial it's a serial comedy. Okay, it's like you know, Prisoner of War in Germany, and but it's like funny bits to it. But it's uh, it's also very serious. Um, that was my first like big role. Uh, like a, that was it wasn't a musical, and uh, I did have a uh, like a supporting comedic role. In the, the musical Fiorello, when I was a sophomore, and that was a, I had to play a Brooklyn cop who was like an idiot, and the, yeah, it was a really, a really good role, especially for being only a sophomore, and to be able to have to play something like that, and the, it was a lot of fun. And then I got, then it got me the bug, and and I did that all through high school, and then I didn't do anything after. And then there was a in my neighborhood, Port Richmond, there was a theater company in Port Richmond that I got involved with uh, in 1991, and I stayed with them until they closed. And just a couple of years ago. Uh, yeah. And we used to do like, we would, in the beginning, we did two shows a year, like a, a, a comedy or a drama. And then in the spring we would do a musicals. And, uh, 
I acted in a few comedies. I directed a few comedies um, and had some parts in, uh, in the musicals, chorus, and some leads. And uh, I've always been geared towards the funny. Mm-hmm. So that, I'm not a leading man type, you know. I'm not like a... <laughs> You know, I'm, uh, but you accept your limitations as an actor, and you have to, you know, know what you can play. Yeah. Uh, and I played a lot of good support uh, supporting characters, and uh, and I, I actually did uh, play Sky Masterson in Guys of Dolls, so I do have some some chops. But you know, most from for the most part, it was like it was a good comedic role. I I pretty much played it. I'm I'm a little confused because like you're mentioning a theater company in Port Richmond. Now, granted, I I moved out of the city. I, I grew up in Kensington, like. Oh right under k and a all right and i just i can't picture theater company of port richmond or ever remember hearing anything about something yeah. like that yeah, like, that was at one all. of our biggest problems um we, so i'm really curious about it now we uh, you know the lithuanian music hall on allegheny avenue no or is it go toward allegheny avenue it's a big red brick building it's that right it's before it's after st albert's church as you're going to 95 um but mm-hmm. they have, um their upper hall was, they had a big, big stage on the hall. And it was a big, wide open hall, like uh, for weddings and all. Okay. And we rented it from them to put the shows on. We would build the, we'd build the set. We put the lighting in. We put the sound system in. And we'd run our shows. We'd break everything down and put it away for the next show. And, uh, oh. yeah, and we used to, and we would do like, yeah, we would work, we would work three months in the, two, three months in the fall. And then we worked three months in the winter, spring. To open. We'd open on Palm Sunday. We'd close on Palm Sunday every year. So we, I was our okay. calendars based on Easter. So we, the two weeks before Palm Sunday, where we, we'd have to take the shows for a week, two weekends. And, uh, you know, we, we'd do everything accordingly. It was made up of mostly, like I would say, like, in the beginning, it was mostly neighborhood people that came from the Nativity Church that had a, a theater, theater club. Uh, Which... I didn't know about that either. And that was like, <laughs> that was from 80, I'm going to say 85 to 89. And okay, I, was in, so. I was in a production there before it folded up. And then we, they, they took that and they reorganized it up there, uh, finding the hall and uh, getting it all together. And, and then we became a, we actually became a, like a neighborhood mainstay for a while because it was, um, we did dinner show on the weekends, you know, your typical like mm-hmm. community theater thing. But we never really like, like advertising was always like uh, we could have advertised better a lot, but we could only really put um, 200 people in there too. Yeah. We we're kind of limited, you know, as to you don't want to have to turn people away too much. And it was kind of like a, you know, a rough, uh, a rough go to, to sometimes, but we got, you know, we had a good following for a longest while of uh, like people that would like, as soon as our, our tickets went on sale, they'd be coming to buy them and reserving dinner tables. And it was pretty, uh, for a while we were, we had pretty good, uh, going there for a while, but like anything, it got to the point where it was like, uh, they're talking about selling the hall. Uh, we lost the orchestra. We used to get a real orchestra. Uh, we, we hired an orchestra, like six pieces, but it was like better than tape, you know, we had real live music. Oh, it's infinitely better than tape. Like, yeah. And that was like, anytime, anytime there's live music instead oh, yeah. of I'm, Whenever I go to something and there's and there's a recorded like a track that they're singing along to, it's an immediate like it's an immediate bummer to me. Yeah, well, yeah, right. I mean, no matter how good they are, it has doesn't yeah. have that you know that go with itness. You know, like if like a lot of times I can remember being in musicals and and like 
maybe starting too fast and then you watch the conductor, mm. they bring you back, you know, they help, or if you, yeah. you know what I mean, they get you back where you're supposed to be. And if you do that with a tape, you're done. You, you go right over it, you know? Yeah. You had to skip immediate to another verse and like, yeah, right. Right. Or get to like another stanza. <laughs> right, of the, of right, right. Right. But that was, you know, and well, we, yeah, we lost uh, our orchestra leader and the piano and the pianist and, uh, and we're and like, we're all getting older, you know, it was, it's a, it's not a, a, a you know, so it's like, we, we need to, what are we going to do? We're going to try and find another place, try and hold this together, try and find the orchestra, try and find the hall. It was like too much of a challenge to re yeah. ourselves again after, you know, leaving the activity and having to take a, a year to regroup and reorganize. And yeah. So we decided just to just fold it up. We went on a high note with beauty and the beast. We had uh, five sellouts out of six shows. Uh, it's a great way to go out, you know. Let's go out high, you know. So that's what. We, and so when does this fold? Oh, it folded about two years ago. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. that recently. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah, our latest, our latest production was Beauty and the Beast, and uh, that was a lot of fun to do. So that, like, that, wow, that survived almost like twenty something years. Yeah, a long time. Right on. And we had like a we had, there were there were rough periods where you you'd have a, like a group of people that decide they don't want to do it anymore and they leave and they're like what are we gonna mm-hmm. do we lost so and so like just bring them yeah. just get more people in. and then uh, unfortunately um our director uh, Jim McDermott uh, my my best friend he was uh, very instrumental in keeping it on an even keel during the lean years you know like making sure everybody you know focused on what the I, the goal was, was to put on a good show. That was our goal was to, you know, yeah. let's do this and let's do this right. Let's not be uh, recorded music. Let's do it. You know, let's give these people the best show they can see for their $25, $30 for dinner. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, yeah. and a lot like there's yeah. like one of my favorite movies is waiting for Guffman. And like the, the comedy of that movie is a community theater who immediately gets big, too big for their britches. And immediately has like these weird aspirations of like Broadway. <laughs> right, right. That is a but like, movie, yeah. But just because someone doesn't live in New York City or a major city or even like has the, the have the means to go to like, because if you're going to go to Hamilton in Philadelphia when it comes here next year, you're going to pay a ton of money. Oh, it's ridiculous. But that, but that doesn't mean that you don't deserve some kind of theater experience like and like community theaters like that do that like yeah and there's yeah, a totally a place and a totally like a goodness to that yeah it's a, it's good to hear you say that because that's i we believe that's i mean we the, one of the best experiences of doing this that all those years was watching the kids grow up absolutely you know, kids yeah. come in we watched them grow up they went on to college some of them became theater majors um, a lot of them went to, you know, we were a good influence for them. We, we were showing, yeah, you can, you don't have to be a football player. You can be at the arts. You can enjoy the arts. You know, having them see adults participate in arts is, is, like, as role models to them is a good, I thought it was a very uh, positive thing for the kids in the community. Yeah. Like I, so I moved out of that area like in 98 and like, I'm now looking back kind of annoyed. <laughs> yeah, right that right, yeah. my parents didn't know about this or or maybe they did and they just I wasn't too young to go yeah, to stuff maybe, or anything but maybe like, the shows didn't interest them then you know I'm, I'm thinking like, what did we do in 98 Oklahoma maybe <laughs> I'm, I'm trying, trying to think of what shows you know <laughs> but it could have been like I don't want to see that you know or Santa Music or whatever you know what I mean like I just watch it on TV like some people have that stigmata too about um, oh it's a neighborhood theater it's going to be lousy 
You know what I mean? Like, and then, then like we had people come see our shows that were like, they couldn't believe it. Like the, the quality and the, and the, and the professionalism that went into it. And we pride ourselves on that. You know, of course we're, we're making props out of Muslim and, and foam board, but we're, you know, we're making it look, you know, the suspension of disbelief is there. They're not going to walk out and say, yeah, the show is good, but that refrigerator wasn't real. Nobody's ever going to say that. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're going to, they're going to look at the product and the product and we, Took the product very seriously, and and generally, when you go to a Broadway show, that refrigerator is not real right. either. Exactly. Like, so. Exactly. A matter of fact, one of our favorite things is um, we go to, we go to a lot of shows. Of course, naturally, we still go because you know, that's part of my life, really. Theater, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but we'll like we'll go to a show like um, like we usually live the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. When it's like a big night out. We'll go to the theater and go watch. You know, a big group of us will go watch a show, have dinner. Uh, and we on the intermission we're always end up talking about, oh, wow, that was a pretty good idea with that prop. Or they look, see how they brought that in. Like we're thinking set yeah. too, but not just the show. Because that was the other thing. We're designing sets and we're, you know, had to make them, you know, we had very limited storage. We had no fly space. So we had to be creative in how we created our props and how to move them around and where to store them. And, and we did some really, really uh, amazing sets. Are you familiar with Noises Off? I know it's a thing, but I don't think I've ever well, listened, heard a song it's from a, it. Or... It's a regular straight play, right? But it's it's okay. front, it's it's the set, and then the second act is backstage of the set. So we built okay. a set, a back wall that revolved around. So in the second act, it was the back of the set, like you would see if you were backstage, and then for the third act, it revolves around again and becomes the front again. And I remember the, one of the biggest joys of watching that go up was when the audience not leaving their seats at intermission to watch the set change. Because it was... Was it just on rollers? like or It was, was centered it... on a big like pivot. And it just pivoted around. Okay. But to watch, like, you know, and the steps come out and put steps back on and doing all this, like... And, and we got it down to a point where it took, like, five, five to ten minutes to totally rebuild this set. <laughs> you know, and people were, like, actually staying in their chairs to watch it. And one night, they actually applauded it. And we were... <laughs> well, I'm sitting back at the sound booth because I directed it, and we were laughing our ass off back there because like, look, people are enjoying the set change. So that yeah, but that's the kind of work we did. Really did good quality work, and the best part of that was it was a community effort. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody worked for the same goal. Everybody, there was nobody like. Of course, there was. We had a board of directors, and we had people in charge, which you need because if they're all theaters, not a democracy. And anybody who thinks theater democracy is kidding themselves, you know. Uh, Especially on that scale with like musicals and stuff, it's one thing to do experimental where five people come together and do something, but like there's still like on a on a certain scale, you do need you know a figurehead, you do need someone on top for sure. Right. This, this is what we're doing. We're not going to vote on this. This is how it's going. You know, and, but and the people and that, and of course you get people when they want to start voting on things, and we should vote on this, and we should vote. You want to vote on things? Form your own thing. This is how we're doing it. Just hang on or get out. It was the voting that almost ruined us once as. Uh, uh, as a company, like uh, in the early '90s or mid '90s or so, when uh, we had a board that was, they voted on every little thing, and everybody got their. <laughs> it was like, you know, what are we doing here? Is it? It's not a club. It's a, you know, we're doing this for to put on a show, not to feed people's vanities. Yeah. So uh, the theater company folds a couple years ago. Yeah. How? What's next for you? Well, um, it was a. Uh, I had started at FIT probably two years before the, the theater folded. 
Okay, how did you find out about Fit? Oh, but here's this is the best part is uh, I'm on Twitter one day and I see a free intro to improv at the okay. improv theater. I'm thinking, there's an improv theater here. I just had no idea there was an improv theater in town because that was one of my favorite things from way back uh, with, with acting was like the improv part of acting. I always loved that. So I went and took the free workshop. Um, and I just saw I was that that was what I wanted to do. I fell in love with it. So I signed up for a class and I started classes. Uh, okay, so let's go through the classes. Uh, who did you do the the uh, the free one with? Uh, we, I did the free one with um, Caitlin. Uh, her name, her name, Caitlin Corkery. Now she just got married. You know, Caitlin. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I had uh, David Danella was my two hundred one instructor. Okay. Um, I had Mike Marbach as my three hundred one. And then okay. Nick Gillette for 401. All right. So I had some. Did you do a conservatory? I did the conservatory. Uh, I did a conservatory with Caitlin. Uh, that conservatory okay. was uh, uh, the museum, which was a good, con- was a, okay. a wild concept where we would kick an object from the audience as our get. And we would mm. build a museum around that object. And we would like show scenes in the museum, show scenes about finding that object, whatever we made that object into. It was really, you know, it was a really cool concept. And I did another conservatory yeah. with Rachel Semigren that was, um, we call, it was a, our, our, what we come, before we come up was everybody had to touch. So all of us on stage were always in a big group and everybody was all mangled together. And the scenes evolved inside the mass of people, which was, a, oh, weird. Yeah, it was very experimental. It was a lot of fun though, because a lot of weird things came out of those big giant group mind things. Hmm. Yeah, it was, pretty, it was a lot of fun to play that because it was very physical. And you mentioned uh, earlier doing a sketch class. Yeah, I did. Well, I did. Uh, I did one on one and two on one. I had Joe Moore. I had Matt Schmidt uh, for two on one. And then I buddied a couple sketch classes since then, just to keep the chops up, you know, to keep writing. But once I started writing, I said, "Yeah," because I've I've been a frustrated writer forever. You know, you always want to write, but you never mm. really get serious about it when if you're not. If you don't have a goal for yourself, you know, if you don't have that discipline and taking the sketch classes gave me a discipline to write. So I've been writing a lot now. So that was right. Yeah. I think like I've talked to a bunch of people that don't agree with necessarily like the education system or the, uh, like the idea of classes, but I love that the idea of having a deadline, having to present it to somebody on a set time is extraordinarily helpful for people that aren't, are, you know, are just toiling around. I, I yeah I I agree because like how many times like I started I've started things uh, numerous times like uh, uh, I like to write short stories so I you know I'm writing short stories I'm going to send the publishers for different magazines and you never quite finish it you know and then it lingers mm. and because you, you don't have no nobody to push you but the one thing I learned from the sketch classes was that the set the time aside even if you're not even if you don't feel like it sit down for 15 minutes and just write anything just noodle something just start you know looking at things and just writing and and that became like a, a daily habit for me since i started to sketch classes was at least to just to just to free write just to just keep my just keep the work in the muscle yeah i think i mean you've worked with uh, steve swan before and he had a thing a couple years a year ago or so where he he would write every day for a year and then every like two weeks or so he added like 15 minutes oh wow to that time so that at the end of the year he was right like the last couple of weeks of that year he wrote three hours a day yeah steve's brother and i told him i was like that's crazy 
but I like that idea of like ramping it up and like I've missed a couple days, but I've been trying to do like a 30 minute every day. And I think, I think September I jump up to like 45 or whatever, but like the idea of just doing it to do it and not necessarily worrying about a finished product and a deadline is also very Yeah. And and it's, that's, that's where the discipline comes in because I, you have no deadline. So what's making you do it, but you're doing it because you have to do it if you're going to get better. And you, once you realize that, once you realize that, like if you don't write, you're not going to write. And that, I know that sounds stupid, but that's the truth. It's easy to say I want to be a writer, but you have to write. You have to put, you know, put the, put the time in. What I did to this morning, I, after I, I have coming off that show high last night, I sat down to breakfast. And I told myself, okay, I'm going to have ten pitches by noon today. Mm. And I sat and I and I actually got ten pitches out. But and it was like five or twelve. I was glad I'm out. I had 10 pitches. And you still got it by noon. Yeah. And I got it in by noon. I got my goal. I set myself a goal for that. And I got it. And looking at them, I, there's a couple there. And I went up going back and adding more notes to them. There's a couple of them really seem like they're viable ideas. All right. So we're in the middle of the run for All Night Deli. So let's talk about All Night Deli. Oh, yes. Uh, so Fit announces two new teams. Steve Swan and Julia Hudson are the two directors. And, you know, my first thought is like, great, great picks. Awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, and you don't have to like mention everything that you do, but like what's in your submission packet? Because I'm always curious about what people sub- submit. In, in my submission packet was Bubble Brat Boy. Okay. That was part of it. Um, and there's another sketch I wrote. It was a, like about um, autocorrect. The, like it's, like, like, imagine the Wizard of Oz, but instead of going to see the wizard, they're going to kill autocorrect. Because it keeps correcting everything on their phones. Yeah. So it's like it's like a take on Wizard of Oz, but it's not like Scarecrow. Which it's that it's that theme of like a group going to after to find something to finish it off. Uh, okay. And the, the third sketch is a um, about a, a vegan restaurant. Well, it wasn't a vegan restaurant, but it became a vegan restaurant. But to become th- that serving exotic dishes like dressed up. Like tofu, like mm. like uh, tofu dressed up like as like maybe like elk or something, but in order to get the taste right, they're slurring animals to get the taste right. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bizarre, but yeah, it's a pretty weird stuff. <laughs> the other thing, I, I've never asked about this. And I just it just popped in my head, like on the fit um, submission form. There's usually something about philosophy. Yeah. Do you remember what you wrote for that? Or the gist of it? Well, the gist of my, my philosophy is, is is the gist of my whole comedy persona is I I want to make people feel good about themselves when watching comedy, not feel bad. Okay. Like, like they, they tell you punch up, don't punch down, all that, you know. I believe in that. I believe in, like, nobody wants to come out to this, for a night out to the theater to forget about their problems and then have somebody remind them of their problems. And use them as a use them as a joke, jumping off point for jokes. I try to avoid that kind of humor. Um, and the, you know, what I, mean? I try to avoid like making people feel. I want people to laugh. I don't want people to say, oh, "That was terrible," you know. Uh, uh, like not making fun and like finding the, the, the low hanging fruit, as I say. I want to look. I want to explore. I want to look for the bizarre or the absurdity in something, and then play off that. Yeah. yeah when, I, when I do stand up, it's pretty much the same thing I do in stand up. It's like all well, about stupid shit I do. But, it, but, it's, but that's funnier than anything you can make fun of anybody about. There's like the, the things I find myself doing. And you, you know, you exaggerate them a little bit, but you, there's always a humorous situation in 
the day-to-day activities. So you're doing stand-up yeah, as well? So mics. like, where are you? I'm, I'm hitting a lot of the open mics um, when I can because my schedule. So uh, I like, I look at, I'm looking at my calendar and I'm like, oh my God, like I wanted to be busy and now I'm busy. And it's like, it's like, it's not overwhelming. It's like, like I'm sit, I'm settling into where I'm enjoying it. You know, like this is okay. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm auditioning for different things. I'm in different things. I'm, I'm acting, I'm improvising. I'm scared. I'm, I'm got my hand in everything. I got projects going on and I love it. it. It's, you know, it's, it's amazing that how quickly it came around, you know, it, it, but the work, there was a lot of work to get there. Mm-hmm. You have to, you have to work, you have to grind, as they say, right? You got to keep grinding. And then I, I, I took a stand-up class with Nicole Yates at Fit, uh, and uh, yeah, okay. and, and she was really, she's really an excellent instructor. She really, you know, and like she kind of like instilled that to you too, like you know, don't be like, you know, don't go for the low-hanging stuff. Try and you know, go for something that's, you know, above that. You know, make people, you know, make people think, yeah, that's right. Not instead of saying, oh, why that, you know. Um, she was very helpful and and like helped me find a voice i guess you could say like uh i knew what i knew what i wanted to say but i didn't really know how to get it out and now i have that idea so that that was helpful and then i took a uh i took a class at helium that was improvised stand-up which was phenomenal if anybody wants to get over that fear you could do take that that's the whole idea of that was when we did a show at helium where you reached in a bucket and pulled out five pieces of paper and that was your set. Whatever you pulled that, you had a joke about. So you were going to put nothing oh, wow. and you had to do five minutes on whatever the people wrote down and put in the bucket. There's a part of me that's a little like, like, uh, like skeptical of that practice. Uh, Cause like, there's a part of me that thinks like, Oh, someone's been doing this enough that like they already have something or they're going to like, like pivot the, the the thing that they pull out of a bucket and pivot into something else that they already well, ex- have. Ex- exactly. Cause, and that's, and, and matter of fact, that was part of the instruction was if you're up there and you, and you're, if it reminds you of something you already do, do it until you, yeah. the whole goal of that is to keep talking because eventually if you keep talking, okay. you're going to discover something. And the other goal of that was like to get you prepared for the inevitable interruptions to be able to be off the cuff. You know what I mean? Like, like how many times you see a guy will drop sure. a tray or something stupid will happen. Someone knock over a bottle. Like not. Yeah. Some you know, weird noise. Crowd, some attention, right, the attention goes. And this is how you deal with that and get them back. And I think that I think in that point, that's where that was helpful. Cause it, you know, to be able to think on your feet and not be going um and stammer is a valuable tool. Yeah. The, the nice, it's a nice tool of, uh, getting out of your head when something unexpected happens. You freeze like a deer, like, oh my God, you know, <laughs> here comes a car. I'm going to stand here and watch it, you know? It, it was, uh, I really enjoyed it a lot, that class. And uh, it was very, like, it really made sense to me. And it, and then it helped me when I did mics afterwards. Like, um, if I would get on, if I would have, like, you know, things you want to try, you go to mics, so there's a couple things you want to try. And then you, as you're doing it, you, something comes in your head. And now you're not afraid to go there now. You know, but we're before you No, this is my set list. I can't alter because I'm going to get lost. But now I'm able to just take that train if it comes and see where it leads. And then again, you're only doing four minutes. So it's not that bad. If it bombs, it bombs. Plus, it's a mic. So, you know. But the, yeah. there's a mic at Jose Pistola's on Monday nights, the last Monday of the, of the month, where you get your four minutes. 
And in three minutes, they'll ask you, do you want to finish your set or do you want a random topic to go off on for a minute? And that's a really cool because that's okay. like it, it's a really cool idea. Um, uh, and it's an awesome setting too. It's a really cool place, but it's like, you know, you're up here, you're doing your, your whatever. And then they go, you, what do you want to yeah, give me something? Let me try something new. And then you go off on it. And it's like really good exercise in that. Nice. Do you have a preference now of sketch improv stand up, like of any of the pro any of the projects that you do is one like a more pet, more oh, favorite it, than the other? Um, it's hard to say because, like, uh, if it was up to me, if I could only do one of them, I would want to just do stand-up. Okay. Stand-up is you don't rely on anybody but yourself. You know, you're not waiting on somebody to deliver you a line. You're not waiting on anything. It's you. If you're good, you're good. If you're bad, you're bad. And it's you. It's not you, nobody giving you bad words. And you can't blame anybody but yourself. And, and, and Sure, absolutely. It's hard. It's it's hard because you that to allow yourself that freedom of like failure, you, you know, like how often like you would get discouraged. You go up there and like nobody laughs or people are talking while you're doing your set. And you're like, it'd be really easy to be discouraged. Like I can't do this, it's, you know, but just to fight through that and, and, and learn from that. It's like, you know, very freeing in a way. I ask everybody and it's how I wrap up the interview. Um, what's something you've learned from comedy? Like, I mean, you've done theater forever for a very long time um, and then transition more to a, a more comedy alternative comedy, if you want to call it that. But like, what's something that you've learned from your time doing comedy that you would pass on to someone that's brand new to this? Yeah. Okay. Comedy is um, comedy can heal. Comedy can be powerful. You shouldn't really treat it lightly. Um, it, everybody likes to laugh, you know, and everybody, it would be real easy to forget that. Like, you're there to make somebody forget for however long you're up there. You're going to make them to feel good about themselves. You get there to get something, something to laugh for. You know, it's, it's a, it could be cathartic to people to have a good laugh. And you know, like what happens when you're, think about it, think about times and times of tragedy when you're really like really sad and then, and then, then something makes you laugh and you go crazy laughing because it's that release, you know, it's that, it's a, it's an easy way to heal somebody is to make them laugh or start them when they're healing. Mm. I think that. And then, uh, why do you do it? Like you've done community theater, you've done writing short stories and all this stuff. Why? And you mentioned being busy. Why is comedy your now like chosen way of spending your time? It's it's weird. Um, it, it's like uh, it's a weird thing to say. And it's cliche, but it's like I'm finally doing what I wanted to do since I was young. I always in my head. And, or, and from people telling me when I was you know, in school and all that, I should be a comedic actor, mm. being comedy. And now I'm doing it. And I wanted to do it, but I would never, I would never really took the full plunge. I always found an excuse, you know, find the, found the reason, work, this, that, you know. But now that I'm doing it and I'm immersing myself in it, I'm seeing the rewards and I'm seeing that, you know, I'm living that life that I always wanted to li- live when I was younger. Nice. That's uh, it's great. All right, thanks, Jack. Hey, thank you so much for having me.
Jack and the rest of All Night Deli can be seen as they continue their premiere event with two more shows on August 24th and 25th at 9 p.m. at the Philly Improv Theater. I saw Night 1 and I really enjoyed it, so you should check it out. You can also catch Jack in Fitz's new Family Time, which takes place on Saturdays at noon, or the Shakespearean-inspired With Mirth and Laughter on Sunday, August 26th, and every second and fourth Sunday after that. He's also in the cast of Villain, an original play written by Marissa and John Edelman, September 12th through the 15th, and that's a Philly Fringe Festival show. All those shows are at FIT. For more information, go to fitcomedy.com. My first sketch is a Philly Sketch Fest production. You can find out more information at phillysketchfest.com or on Twitter at phlsketchfest. The music on this episode is by the band Nono, which you can check out at nonoband.bandcamp.com. You can like my first sketch on Facebook or follow me on Twitter. And if you really want, rate and review on Apple Podcasts. This is Josh Hyam. Thanks for listening. Go see some comedy. <laughs>